from 1950 through 2020, the best performing month is April. Second best performing month is November. Third best month is December. I haven't said January yet. (laughs) Fourth best is July. Wow. Fifth best January at like positive 0.97%. It's the fifth best performing month, yet people are so hung up on this January effect. Why is January so great? In actuality, from my perspective, January just happens to be part of a great stretch. Thanks for joining us for today's episode of The Capitalist Investor. As always, you got Mark and D. Mark, what's up, man? What's up, brother? All right, my man. So today we are going to be talking about, since it is January. It is. And it's only (laughs) fitting that we do this. We're going to be talking about the January effect, which is basically what happens in January with regards to the stock market. Right. A lot of people say, as goes January, goes the year. You know, there's all kinds of different sayings all kinds of different hypotheses surrounding January. And let's just kind of go through them and make some sense of all this stuff. All right, right? Whether or not we buy into it, whether or not we believe it, some of the rumors that are floating around out there. Because we get hit with these kinds of questions from clients all the time. Like I've had clients say, well, it's an election year, so it should be a good year. I really don't pay attention to that kind of <laughs> stuff. you know. But okay, if you say so. So let's just kind of go through and let's look at calendar effects, market anomalies as a whole. And kind of narrow this down to talking about the January effect. All right. So the saying is, as goes January, goes the year. So basically, people tend to believe that if January is positive, then the rest of the year should be positive. I did a little homework, and it looks like the S&P since around 1950, up around 74% of the time. January, positive 62% of the time since 1950. So, hey, man, I'm no... PhD in mathematics, <laughs> it doesn't sound like there's perfect correlation there to me. No. And that's why I didn't actually realize until I was researching this. It is kind of a highly contested issue. Yeah. Why does it happen? What is really the cause of it? Yeah. And then there's many theories out there. But, you know, basically what I saw is if you go back to 1950, if January goes up, then the year finishes positive 87% of the time. Yep. And there's been nine major errors in there. So that one looks better. But what you just said, what I see is between 1928 and 2018, that correlation is only 62% of the time. So not the correlation. Are you sure that's the correlation or is that how many times January was positive? That is the number times January was positive. Yes, exactly. Okay. So they move together 87% of the time since 1950. But the market's up almost 87% of the time by itself, (laughs) right? I mean, it's up like 75%. If I shorten that time frame to maybe the last 20 years, how many negative years have we had from 2000 to 2020? Actually, it'd be like 2001 to 2020. Maybe three negative years, four negative years? Probably four. But I have it here. The It's only been negative 17 out of the last 73 years. Yeah. So- So Some of this. So that's 20%. So 80% of the time the market's up, (laughs) right? right? So this January effect thing is like, I don't know, man. I don't know if I really buy into it. I kind of take it with a grain of salt. You know, the other thing they talk about is why is the market always up in January? Mm -hmm. Well, first things first, dude, it's only up 62% of the time. (laughs) (laughs) But a lot of people are, they've got these different hypotheses. And some people believe that 
A lot of people, they sell their losers in December so they can take advantage of tax loss harvesting, and then they rebuy them in January. And the money flowing back into stocks in January because of their tax loss harvesting, that's what helps to prop the stock market up. What I can tell you is that the market sold off the first day of January 2021 because investors did the exact opposite. They didn't want to sell their winners in December. So they waited until the tax year clock turned to 2021, and then they sold all their highly appreciated positions. Right. So that totally makes sense in theory. Yep. But that only works for non-qualified accounts. Yeah. So I don't know the numbers off uh, the top of my head, but I would say most of the money in the market is probably in IRA accounts, qualified accounts. I'd love to know um, the answer to that. Yeah, I'll get going I would love that. to know the answer to that. Is there more money in qualified accounts or non-qualified accounts? I wonder how we'd even figure that out. You raise a great point there. I wish we had the answer. Maybe <laughs> someone can email us with the answer to that. <laughs> Info at swpconnect.com. Give us the answer. But history is on the kind of the January effect side because what I found is January, average return for January is positive 1.8%. And the average for all the other months combined is only positive 0.7%. What the heck time frame are you looking at? That goes all the way back to 19, the Great Depression, 1928. All right. So this is funny. All right. So you use that time frame. I think I, you're going to steal my question, I think. <laughs> I'm, I'm coming up with a different time frame. So I used a calculator that calculated monthly returns from 1950 through 2020. Okay. It's amazing how we just moved the goalpost from you're probably using 1928. Mm -hmm. I'm using 1950. Completely random. So, but from 1950 through 2020, the best performing month is April. Second best performing month is November. Third best month is December. I haven't said January yet. <laughs> Fourth best is July. Wow. Fifth best January at like positive 0.97%. It's the fifth best performing month, yet people are so hung up on this January effect. Why is January so great? In actuality, from my perspective, January just happens to be part of a great stretch. If you think about it, the market is seasonally strong from November through May. There's that saying, sell in May, go away. The market is very sleepy in the summertime. May is barely positive. June, July, and August, they're probably all negative. September and October are pretty weak or lackluster. And then you get into the big months. You get November, December, January, February, March, April. Those are the big months. I wish I had that math in front of me, but man, I would bet that 70 to 80% of the market's returns, maybe even higher than 80, come over the cross of those months that I just mentioned. Because mm -hmm. you know, I was thinking about this. How much weight do you think we should put into trends that happened in the stock market before World War II? None. How much weight should we put into trends that happened before an internet existed? That would be my point. Should we even really be looking at anything before 2000 how, if we're how, trying to identify trends? Right. No, I don't think so. I think you kind of start at 2000 nowadays, mm -hmm. right? Like the Fed has basically committed to maintaining 0% interest rates forever. Mm -hmm. When did that happen for the first time? That happened for the first time during the Great Recession in mm -hmm. 2008. And they barely went up. And as soon as they started going up, it almost threw us into a recession, <laughs> right? Right. So the game has changed. The, we're kind of entering this period of like, there's this concept called modern monetary theory. You know anything about MMT? No, I actually don't. So it's like when we can't 
manipulate interest rates any longer. We're just going to create money. Right now, you've got the Treasury doing it, but I think this relates more to the Fed creating money, which I don't believe they're able to do as of now. You know, so I mean, we're kind of in that situation, and you're right. I mean, from 1928 to 1950, there's a reason these different sources we're looking up are starting on different right. in different <laughs> years, right? Like, oh, hey, it looks good if we start from 1928, or it looks bad, right? Mm-hmm. But I agree, man. Like, as I'm looking, you know what? I'm totally switching gears here. I don't want to forget this because I just thought about it. I mentioned that book that I read to you, Unknown Market Wizards. Mm-hmm. That was you. I was talking to you about that. I don't think that. so. Okay, never mind. <laughs> never mind. Um, so, psych. We so can I, talk about it right, right now. So though. I read this book probably like end of summer, beginning of fall when it was released. I don't remember. Maybe September, October, the book came out. It's about these like individual traders. They're not managing client money mm-hmm. where they actually have some responsibility with regards to making sure they don't lose a hundred percent. Right. <laughs> right. So they can get pretty risky. They can make concentrated bets. And I read the book because it's basically like a dozen stories of people who took give or take, let's say a hundred thousand bucks and turned it into 10 plus million. Mm-hmm. Like that's interesting. I want to learn about that. One of my biggest takeaways is they all got lucky. Every single one of them got lucky. They had concentrated bets on tiny little micro cap stocks that 100 x for them. The one guy was ended up on the board of the company because he owned <laughs> such a high percentage of the shares oh, of, of like a $100 million company. Mm-hmm. Pretty wild stuff. But the other thing I noticed, D, is every single one of them that had a trading system that worked, their trading system eventually went obsolete. Right. Because other people figured out about it, started using it, technology changed. So in reading that book, those were kind of my two big takeaways. The game changes. And I agree. I don't think we should be looking at at extrapolating trends from pre-2000. I totally agree. And that was my main takeaway in preparing for the show, is that things are just so vastly different now from the number of people who can place a trade. Yeah. I mean, how many people could actually on their own, place a trade in when, let's say we're in high school, 1995. You'd have to call a stockbroker. Right. Who'd take a big commission to do <laughs> yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. How much did that person make just for taking that call? Well, probably, I don't know, 6%. Probably. Yeah. So it's just such a different world now. And what it made me think of, the yield curve inversion. Basically, if the yield curve inverted, that was basically going to be the end of humanity as we knew it. Yeah. <laughs> right. Straight into a recession. Exactly. Yep. So, I mean, these things change over time. And the major difference there was (laughs) when did that ever happen when interest rates were near zero? Yeah. You know, never. Interest rates have never been at these levels. And it's just a totally different game. Yeah. Now, it's also very dangerous to just to take kind of the devil's advocate position here. It's also and I'm taking the devil's advocate position against myself, too, because it's very dangerous to think this time is different. That's when you get blindsided. Right. Right. Like. History may not repeat itself, but it tends to rhyme. Mm-hmm. That's another one I just thought of on my toes. That's there. awesome. You like that one, huh? <laughs> but again, man, like I don't think anything pre 2000 is that relevant today. I mean, just look at the differences in numbers we just arrived at between me starting in 1950 and you starting in 1928. Right. Right. You had January as the best performing month. I start 20 years late after you. And January was the fifth best month. That's huge, man. So, and that goes back to the last show we did. Like, watch what you read, <laughs> right? Yeah, for sure. You need to make sure that just because you read something doesn't necessarily make it true. Like, you should probably check out that math across different 
time horizons, right. you know? <laughs> is this time different? I don't know. I think innovation and technology changes, frictionless ways for retail investors to buy and sell fractions of a stock, mm-hmm. you know, fractions of a share of a stock. It has changed the game. The game has changed. And when the game has changed, I think you need to like, look, dude, we just experienced the worst recession since the Great Depression <laughs> in 2020. Mm-hmm. And the market was up. It's it was up blowing. like 16, 17%, dude. Will we ever see a negative year again? <laughs> or is the does the Fed have our back? Does the Treasury have our back? Like, I don't know, man. You used to see, just look at the tech bubble. I mean, the early 2000s, we had two or three consecutive negative years. I don't remember mm-hmm. off the top of my head without having it in front of me. But I thought like 2000, 2001, 2002 may have all been negative or pretty darn close, yep. right? Now, if you see one negative year, like that's crazy. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, let's get back on track with this January effect thing. Do you buy into any of this stuff? So, I don't. And I kind of analyzed the last two years because really before 2020, really the most distressed I can remember the market being was around Christmas time, kind of October to Christmas time in 2018. So, the end of the year, 2018. I believe that quarter ended up down around eight or nine percent. Yeah. And, you know, magically in January, it was up about 8% in January 2019. And because the market was down big at the end of 18, that momentum in 19 carried forward through and we had a big year in 2019. Yeah. Now, at the start of 2020, January was basically flat. Mm -hmm. And (laughs) I remember thinking in January from a show we almost did. I remember thinking in January, what is going to stop this? Yeah. Like I couldn't come up with a single ding, thing. Ding, ding. I can give you an answer. <laughs> Global pandemic <laughs> stopped Which it. Which stopped it temporarily <laughs> yeah. and then it resumed its upward rise, right? Yeah. It, it, incredible. So while there may have been something to it, you know, frankly, pre 2000, I don't think there's a whole lot to it right now. I think it has a lot to do with kind of the momentum. I'm a big yeah. believer in momentum and kind of what is left over from the year before and how you can calculate that into the expectations for the upcoming year. Yeah. The other thing I heard people talking about is January tends to be a good month, which again, by my analysis, it was the fifth best performing month. (laughs) So I wouldn't, you know, run up and down the streets talking, Mm -hmm. you know, screaming at the top of my (laughs) lungs about how great January typically is. But the other thing I heard is it's like an investor psychology kind of thing where people Mm -hmm. make a new year's resolution to save more money or buy more stocks, whatever. I don't know if I really agree with that. It's kind of a mass generalization, right? It does make sense, mm-hmm. you know, intuitively, but is that really moving the market more than it normally would in a in a given month? Yeah. It's really hard to say, right. in my opinion. And and are those really meaningful dollars, dude? Right. The retail investor who decides that he or she is going to save an extra hundred dollars a month, do they move the market? I'm going to say no. I don't think so. They don't. <laughs> Institutions right. selling you know, reallocating money from bonds into equities, that moves the market. Mm-hmm. It's institutional moves that move the market. I don't know, man. I don't think retail investors making a New Year's resolution to save, you know, an extra hundred bucks a month is market moving. Right. Even if half the working population decided to do it, I still don't think it would be market moving. No, I totally agree. And I think what did you say? History doesn't repeat itself, but it rhymes. Yeah, you like that. I've never even heard that before. That's amazing. Yeah, I've only heard it once. <laughs> Somehow, some way, I filed that bad boy away to be used in the future. Yeah, and I'm it was used today. That one. <laughs> so, you know, I think kind of use it, 
things like that as guides. Just another data point in making your overall decision, right? We just did our last show about you know kind of the 10 steps that you can do to be make your finances financially fit. Yep. Use these little things as kind of a data point to help you make decisions. Yeah. But in my opinion, I don't know if it's going to really persuade you or dissuade you from making an investment in January. Make sure it fits your plan. Make sure it fits your risk tolerance and monitor it. That's the most important thing. The conditions in the market change almost daily now. And that is something that it is much more pronounced than even when I started in this business. So you have to be on top of these things and you have to pay attention. Okay. All right. We're going to wrap up the show with this. It's always foolish to make a market prediction, but we're going to do it anyways. All right. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm going to bet, you were going to bet 90 minutes at Top Golf. Okay. Okay. And we're going to see who's right come December 31st, January 1st of next year. And this time next year, one of us is going to be paying for the other guy to golf. Okay. Let's say the stock market, what's a reasonable rate of return? High single digits. Let's go 8.5%. You want to take the over under for 2021. Well, if you're going to give me the choice. I'm going to give you the choice. I'm going to take the under. You're going to take, ooh, <laughs> I get my over that I was looking for. All Are right. you taking the over? I'm going to take the over. All right. All right. So we're going to go, I'm going to take the over. You're going to take the under. Let's write this one down. We are betting on 8.5%. That is the total. Mark has the over. Derek has the <laughs> under. We will see who will be paying for Top Golf next year. Uh, that wraps up today's show, folks. Thanks for joining us. Check out the show notes on the website. Check out the YouTube channel. Make sure you subscribe to our podcast so that you're getting it every single week. For those of you who are new listeners, we appreciate it. We try to release a podcast every Wednesday morning. Sometimes Apple likes to drag their feet and it may not hit until you know 11 a.m., 12 p.m. Eastern time, but nonetheless, they are typically published at midnight on Wednesday morning. So we appreciate you listening and we will talk to you next week. Hey, it's Mark. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We really appreciate it. Look, if you wouldn't mind, please go to your podcast app, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever you use, and give us a five-star rating and review. You know, the best way for us to continue to educate and enlighten every single one of you is for more and more people to know about us, and your review would help us with that. Also, we've had quite a few listeners reach out to us lately asking about financial planning. So we've decided to offer a special to every single one of our listeners. It's a $495 comprehensive financial plan. No strings attached. You don't have to move your investments under our management. We're not going to use the plan as a gimmick to sell you a product. There's absolutely no hidden agenda and no further obligation on your part. You just get great conflict-free advice from us. And all you have to do is visit your495plan.com. That's your495plan.com. Fill out your info. One of our certified financial planners will reach out and begin to build out your plan visit your495plan.com today.